This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am joined by the Athletics' newest Los Angeles Lakers beat writer, Yovan Bua. Long time friend of the pod. Yovan, good morning your time. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you are you done with the Lakers beat yet? Are you, are you bored of the winning and uh, miss the tumultuous experience that was covering the Clippers? <laughs> Uh, no, no, uh, this has been, it's been fun. It's been a new challenge. Um, it's definitely weird, uh, parachuting into a beat virtually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because nor- normally, uh, I would have gotten, you know, I would have been on this road trip in, in Houston and OKC and, uh, you know, been able to start to build a rapport with players and coaches and, uh, staffers and, um, you know, get, dinner or drinks with people and um, just kind of build those relationships that are, are really important for reporting. So that obviously isn't possible right now. Um, so I'm just been trying to kind of make do with uh, the, the current situation, but I mean, covering LeBron James, covering the Lakers, you know, I'm, I'm from LA. Um, it, it's a really special experience and opportunity for me. So um, it, it's something I've been excited about and it's i've not gotten tired of it yet (laughs) um i wonder do you do you worry about that Do you talk about this with other reporters of like the longer this goes the more likely it is that it just never goes back to the way it was in terms of access and reporting uh yes that's been a concern but i think the the nba knows uh you know to some extent how important access is and, and reporter access. And, um, you know, like I, I think a lot of the stuff that, I mean, think about all the stuff, you know, off the court that we talk about that we overanalyze, dissect, uh, you know, rumors and, and, you know, people catching different things. Like a lot of that is confirmed or, or sourced or, or added, you know, through reporting and, you know, a lot of those relationships are from, you know, games and um, just kind of that experience. And I, I think there are obviously, you know, re- reporters who would be fine if, if there was no access or, or the same level of access. You know, there still is news being broken. But I, I do think that the NBA, the teams, the players, the agents, like everybody knows how the ecosystem kind of works. And I, I do think... I could see some level of change in, in, um, you know, like, I don't don't know about like the locker room, like that might be something that we lose. Um, 
or it might change in, in sort of the, the time we're allowed in there or something like that. Um, I think a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, the vaccine and how successful that is and, and, you know, how soon we can actually return to being around the players. Uh, but for, for the most part, I think things are going to stay the same um, as they were. I think like the media is going to fight for that. I do think the league understands the media's value uh, because again, like, stuff like the jump and, and, you know, the athletics reporting and, and ESPN's reporting and, and different places like that stuff carries a lot of the, the narrative and storylines and attention with the league. And if you're going to minimize that or lose that, uh, I don't think that makes a lot of sense to me. So I do think temporarily, yes, things are, are definitely worse access wise. You know, it's just a matter of, of, of fact and, and how things are, but, I do think it'll get back to to normal or or pretty close to normal. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe I'm being an optimist. I just I'm not my expectations. I I shouldn't even say that. Like I have no expectations. I have no idea. Uh, every day it's something new. So I just I don't even pretend to have any kind of foresight into where we're headed. But fingers crossed for you, Yvonne. Um, as we're recording, did you see the Shams tweet from a few moments ago? I did not. Okay, so this just came out. Of course, just the NBA. This league, if you will. The hashtag this league. Who who doesn't love that stuff? Um, the Rockets are sifting through finalists, Nets, and Sixers for a James Harden deal that could culminate quickly with Brooklyn preparing an offer of all of its future first-round picks. Shout-out to Billy King and pick swaps per sources. Um, we have to start with Harden. I, it seemed like it was always going to come down to the, the Sixers and... Um, Nets, but man, I mean, at this point, if you're the Nets, I think I understand it more than I do the Sixers, where it's just like you're you're already all the way in, and we'll get to the Kyrie a little bit later. But you have Kevin Durant, you're playing with house money coming back from Achilles with him, and where he's at in his career. There's no point. Like you, you don't not trade for James Harden. You don't do this. And there's all kinds of differences between what they did for KG and uh, Paul Pierce years ago, but um. The biggest thing is uh, these are still top 10 players in the league. <laughs> and uh, the Billy King era was not trading for top 10 players at that time. Um, what do you make of the new development there? Well, I don't know if you watched last night's game, but if you did, yes, uh, that was as checked out as I've seen James Harden. Uh, you know, he, he still put up just because that's how good he is. He still walked into like, you know, 16, six and seven, but, uh, you know, I, I went back and, and was watching a lot of the Lakers defensive stuff. And I, I believe he was blocked like four different times, which, you know, how often do you see that happen to, to James Harden? Um, but there was also times where like, he'd have a step on a guy and like get into, you know, get into the, 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 you know, inside the arc or get into the paint. And you're like, normal James Harden is, is going up, uh, or, or he's trying to draw a foul. And he would just kick the ball back out and kind of reset the offense. And it was just, it kind of looked, I mean, he was very clearly mailing it in, but it almost looked like he was like tanking offensively. Like it was just really weird. And then obviously on defense, he's not getting back. And there were times he'd have a turnover and and he would be the last line of defense and just kind of give up, let the Lakers get a dunk or something. So I thought he completely phoned it in last night. Uh, and then, you know, to, to have the, the post-game comments that he had where he basically reiterated uh, his 
trade demands and, and for really you know, publicly for the first time um, saying, you know, we're not good enough. We have chemistry issues. Uh, you know, th- this situation's crazy. I've, I've given everything I have to the city, which that is clearly debatable. Uh, and, you know, and I don't know if it's fixable at this point. And then he just walks off and it was just like insane to, to see a guy, um, you know, especially with, after that performance, like I was like, if, if you went out there and, and had 30 points and, and 12 assists and really tried and, and then, you know, you guys still get blown out and, and say something like that, that's a little bit more commendable, but for you to kind of mail in the game and then come out and say, you've given everything you have, like it, it just, it, it doesn't really add up to me. So I think, you know, last night was probably a breaking point. I mean, the, the Lakers led, for all but 11 seconds over the two games. So, like, they just crushed the Rockets. They embarrassed them. Um, it, it was, you know, both games were 20-plus point leads in the second quarter, like, in, over by halftime. So I, I totally see why Harden would be frustrated by that. But it does seem like last night was a breaking point for, for him in Houston. And, um, you know, th- this report, to me, just seems to confirm that uh, – you know, Houston is realizing how bad it's gotten. You know, it's it's been a sideshow for weeks now. But um, you know, especially after last night, I feel like it's probably best to move on and, and move on as quickly as as they can. The juiciest part of this too is that Varden, your colleague at the Athletic, um, in his great piece on the lead this week, um, he had a point where he said, "quote But I talked to a league exec Tuesday who thought the trade in terms of um, James Harden." if it happened, would have to be centered around hardening Kyrie, which sending Kyrie to Houston after all this um, <laughs> would just be, I mean, we're going to get to Kyrie. I have a lot of Kyrie thoughts, but the Harden stuff, if he ends up in Philly or Brooklyn, it's a home run for him. Like him personally and his career, that is a great situation because if he ends up in Philly, he's on a great team where Seth Curry is shooting like 50% from three. They have a bunch of rangy defenders. They have Joel Embiid for the pick and pop and pick and rolls when necessary. Like, I don't know how you're going to defend that in in crunch time in the playoffs. Like those two are just going to ravage the East. If that's what happens, if the Sixers get him, Harden and Embiid will win the East. If he goes to Brooklyn. And it's the pick and pop with Kevin Durant. Guess what? They're winning the East. Like Harden, wherever he goes in this trade between those two, they are winning the Eastern Conference. They are going to the finals. He is going to be the epicenter of a finals team. And he's been awful to his people, to the city, to everything. He's like He is going to get rewarded in an unbelievable way. We'll forget all of this come playoff time this summer when he's just destroying people again and he cares again. I I don't know what to do with that. Like I it really sucks for Houston. It sucks for Stevens House. It sucks for John Wall, who's having a great year. Coming back 18, 5 and 5. Like John Wall's doing everything he can. Like it just it's sad. Demarcus Cousins is trying to break the technical foul record, so shout out to him this season. Um I I don't know, man. Like this all like I just don't feel good about Harden finding a way to get there. Um but from a basketball sense, I don't like James Harden, a top 10 NBA player, just not giving a shit and mailing it in at this point. That's also not good for the league. That's also not good for people who want to watch good James Harden. Like, he'll care again. But then if you're Brooklyn, you're like, we kind of have to because Kyrie just might not come back this year. He just might be like, I'm good. Um, I don't know. There are so many different layers to this that, like, 
I I just I keep coming back to where I'm like I don't want to trade James Harden because it's rewarding James Harden and what he's done in that press conference last night was just so crappy. Like that's just it was just garbage. Yeah, it, it's tough because as Houston, you know, you're you're kind of at a point where what is the ceiling of this group? Like mm. the, the ceiling to me is a seven or eight seed. Right? Like I, I don't see well, they're how three they and six the right now. Six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and and, and you know, and, and that might be optimistic. This team, if they stay together, you know, keep Harden, don't trade him, they could be the nine or ten seed or or eleven seed or something. So, like you, you, I think if they still were at that championship contender level that they were theoretically at as recently as last season, um, even though you know that was a bit, I guess, fluky. Uh, you know, then, then I think you have that conversation with him, and, and maybe you try to change his mind and just say, "Hey, like, you know, give us, give us through the trade deadline, and then if by the trade deadline we're not competitive or we haven't made a move to improve the roster, like, we'll, we'll flip you somewhere." Uh, but there, you know, you can't really say that to him right now. Like, this team obviously is again at best a fringe playoff team, at worst a you know probably middling lottery team. Um, and, you know, I, I think they have talent, like, as you said, uh, John Wall has looked, you know, for, for someone who missed, you know, what, two years, basically, uh, and had the type of injuries he's had, he's looked pretty good. Uh, Christian Wood, I, I think, you know, if the record gets better, is like a fringe all-star candidate. I mean, he's been 20 and 10 every night. Uh, you got, you still got PJ Tucker there, Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel House, uh, like, this is a team with, I think, multiple like you know playoff caliber rotation guys plus an MVP candidate. So like in theory, they should be you know a five, six, seven seed, uh, but that has not materialized. I mean, I, I thought it was just as telling that John Wall was asked about his chemistry with, with James Harden, and he was like, you know, it's not that great right now. Like I'm not going to lie about it. Um, you know, it, it's not where we want it to be. So. Even John Wall was kind of admitting, you know, and, and then he had a quote uh, later in the presser where he was like, um, it's tough when there are certain guys that aren't buying into what we're trying to do. And like, that's Harden, right? So I think at some point, you know, you don't want to necessarily reward the guy, but we have seen it, you know, we saw it with Anthony Davis in, in New Orleans. Um, you know, we, we've seen it with other stars in, in different places. Like at some point it just becomes what's the point of keeping this guy? Like it, it's, you know, it, it's the relationship, the situation is beyond repair and really the healthiest thing at that point. I mean, it's, it's like being in a dysfunctional relationship. Like at some point, you know, continuing to hold on to it just doesn't know, you know, doesn't do you any good. You, you got to move on. So I, I think for Houston, they're probably getting to that point or very close to it of like, what, what is the point of, of keeping James Harden? We, we might as well flip him get a, a young asset, get some picks, start the rebuild uh, because they're going to have to rebuild. And, you know, I, I don't really see any other option. This is why I couldn't be an NBA GM because I would be super petty about all of this. I would, <laughs> I would immediately be like, Nope, you're going to Cleveland. That's your choice. We're getting, you're, you're going to Cleveland or hey, you're going hey, to know Cleveland's first in defensive rating. <laughs> hey, you know, well, they literally didn't have their starters last night. Um, and they're all not COVID related, like XM love. Everything is just like, they're uh they're all just hurt calf stuff and 
Kevin Porter's not even playing this year. Like it, the Cleveland is falling off cliff. I think they've lost like seven of ten. Um, are they really still first in defensive rating though? Uh, yeah, as of last night, yeah, that's insane. Actually, tied, tied with the Lakers. Mm, well, Lakers are coming, and Anthony Davis giving that face to uh, who was that? He blocked. He came right at the rim, and Anthony Davis was just like, "Yeah, that's that's not happening." Well, I don't know what you're doing here, but uh, that's not happening. Was that Macklemore? Who did that? It was uh, it was Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown. That's right. Um, yeah, that was Anthony Davis had like what five blocks last night. He's uh, he yeah, is, and he's, uh, he's motivated uh, once 17, again. Seventeen in his last five games, which has been because his first I think three games he didn't have a block, and then his first like five he only had like two blocks total, and it was kind of like, what's going on with AD? Is he mailing it in? And then now he's like, shut up! I'm the defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, I just feel bad for John Wall, too. Like, this should be a great story, right? Like, John Wall is back from a torn Achilles. He's been hurt for three years now. Really hasn't played any basketball. He hasn't played a full season in almost half a decade. And he's he looks great. And he's trying. And he's trying to make this all work. And Hard never gave him a chance. He's getting to play with Cousins, his old Kentucky player. But, like, I was looking at the numbers. And Wall and Seawood, who is just playing really great in Houston, too, they are minus 5.7 in their two-man lineups together this season. And then Wall, Harden, and Wood, have played. they play together on average 22 minutes a night, and they are a minus six. So it's not even like it's really working. Um, uh-huh. It's just, it, I don't know. How much of that is just because Harden's not giving a shit? I don't know. But um, Wall having said, quote, when you have certain guys in the mix that don't want to buy in, that's one. It's going to be hard to do anything special as a basketball team. It hurts. That is like the quote for the Houston Rockets this season. Like that is the most damning quote. And then what's going to be worse is just I cannot wait for the press conference and I cannot wait for the Zoom call where James Harden's like, I'm just happy to work, happy to be with these guys. I'm happy to be with an organization that wants me and blah, 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 blah. And you're just, it's going to be, it's going to be nauseating. I can't handle James Harden and Kyrie on the same team anyway. So I need, I need Kyrie to be included in this deal because I, I think my eyes might roll all the way back into my head if I have to listen to those to both of them talk about um, where they are as a team and uh, putting the team first um, anymore this season. I, I think that might just might it might actually kill me. I'm fired up about well, this, man. The, I'm really fired up about this. This is just bad. I'm really annoyed. I mean, the the other thing though that I'm interested in is like. James Harden does not look in shape. Uh, he mm. he's visibly yep. heavier. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you, I don't know if you actually saw. Oh, I did. His warm up TV. The 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 you know he had a pregame meal or pregame snack or something. Oh yeah. Uh, the 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 announcer saying that like he he does. I mean he he he's looking more like Rick Ross than James Harden right mm. now. And uh, you know, so I, I mean, I think obviously he. he hasn't always been like in the best shape or you know there's been times where it's kind of like he's looked a little heavier and he's still been you know mvp level so i don't i don't know if like that's as much of a concern as maybe i think it could be but there's also part of me that's like you know with the way you know again he just looks heavier and out of shape like is he still at that level is is he 90 percent at that level like i don't know and it, but here's tough, the thing, he's you know, gonna get in shape. 
That's the thing is he's a pro. Yeah. He, he's never injured. When he gets traded, he's just going to be like, all right, back to the gym. Like that is what is going to happen. He is going to 100% give a shit again and care and get himself in amazing shape and be back to normal. That is what is going to happen. That's why I don't care about it. It's just what? I don't know, man. It's all terrible. It's all terrible. Speaking of terrible, um, COVID-19. I don't know where you stand on this, Yovan. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of COVID-19. Not a fan. Um, the quotes from coaches about this, like I, I thought Greg Popovich's quote. Um, I think this is also in the Athletic, where he was just like, "Yeah, the the culture oriented stuff that we do have all gone by the wayside, and um, you just you forget about things like team dinners and you think about team meals, and um, that was something that teams could do in the bubble because they're together all the time. So and they're getting tested, they can actually do that, and interact with each other, and really go grow close together." But now with traveling and everything else, they're not even having that, but they're also not able to go out unless you're James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And I don't know, like now they're going back with the new restrictions. They're going back to food, back to their hotel rooms. They're, um, they can still see their families and all that. But ultimately, I think this is about to get strange. But then you have your guy, LeBron James in LA, saying like, well, these rules are basically what we've been doing since March in Los Angeles, like having lived here, like this is back to what it actually has always been for most people. So I don't know. The NBA is not going to do a bubble thing. Like that's not going to happen, but it does feel like we're reaching a point where this is, this is just not under control at all. And then you're like, when do the vaccine conversations come back up? Like, when does that really come back to the forefront? Cause they were very adamant about not jumping the line. But if you have all these games getting canceled every day, um, I think the Hawks Suns just got canceled before we got started and it's like a third of the slates canceled for today. Like what do you uh what do you do? Um what what do you make of everything going on right now and what are you hearing? Well, I I think let, let's be real here for a second. The league should clearly shut down. I, I think I, I mean I I just I don't like all of these additional protocols that they added like I think are a little ridiculous. Like on, on you know, for one, uh, I, I don't think a majority of players are going to follow them or at least mm. follow them consistently. Um, and, and two, it, it just feels like, um, you know, you, you've got like a gunshot wound and you're trying to put like a little, you know, uh, Batman bandaid on it. And it's like, no, you need to go to the hospital. You need to have surgery. You need to have the bullet taken out. You need to rest. You need a re- recovery. You need to take a break. And that's where it feels like the league is right now where, you know, okay, it was one thing to start the season so soon during the holiday season. Uh, you know, Le- LeBron said that after the game last night, he was like, you know, we knew that th- there was going to be a rise around the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, like we knew kind of the risk and, and that that was going to be like the worst time of the year. Um, you know, but you know, we're hopeful that kind of moving forward, things are going to get better. Um, so, you know, I, I guess maybe they had those conversations and then knew some of this risk going in, but once it's gotten to this point where you have had, you know, I, I don't know, it's getting close to double digit games being postponed. You know, I think at this point it's like seven or eight games. Um, you've had multiple teams fielding eight or nine guys and, and, you know, a team like the Sixers, 
basically playing like their second and third string guys uh, against a good team in Denver, like that's just, it, it's just kind of becoming a joke. Like th- this isn't, you know, if, if they get through this season, you know, e- even so, like it's just going to be basically who was lucky and, and, you know, didn't contract COVID. And, and we kind of knew that, but it, it's just gotten to the point where it's like, it, you know, and now you have certain teams kind of, you know, teams playing Washington have, have had to postpone games and, and, you know, now Boston. And it's just, it, it's, it's just, I just think it's not a good look and it, it's going to reach a breaking point most likely where you cancel a full slate of games or, or, you know, th- there's a team that, you know, maybe it's a, a team wide outbreak and, and that team can't play for two weeks. Like, what do you do in that instance? Like, I, I just don't, I don't see how this is going to get much better. I, I think it's only going to get worse because it has only been getting worse. And then you, you have a guy like George Hill coming out and saying what I think a lot of players feel, which is like, these are pretty ridiculous, you know, protocols that you're asking and like, you know, not having guests on the road or, or not, not letting your family leave the house or, you know, just anyone you're around, you know, has to be basically quarantined alongside you. And it's just like, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to enforce that unless they have like, you know, a security guard outside of every player's, you know, house or something. So it, it's just, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. It feels like they're trying to stop the bleeding when there's a clear solution. Um, so I, I don't know how long the postponement would have to be, you know, two weeks, a month, six weeks. Like I, I don't have an answer on that, but it, it just, it, it's getting ridiculous. It, it's, it's getting out of hand and, I feel like, you know, this was a, a league that took, you know, they were the, the you know, um, trendsetters and set the standard for how to deal with COVID, with, with shutting down the league first, with having the bubble. And then it seems like they've, they've kind of undone some of that progress recently with, with what they're doing. And, you know, I think it would be, you know, they would continue that trend if, if they just shut down the league and it was like, Hey, this isn't working. We have to reevaluate. We, we need a break. Maybe we go back to a bubble or, or maybe we just, you know, uh, do, uh, you know, th- these road baseball series, but, but we, we kind of do them longer or, or, you know, just make it a, a division thing where we're reducing travel. Like I, I don't really have the answer. I, I don't think anybody does, but I think currently what's work, you know, what they're doing is not working. Um, and, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I think we should just wait a couple more days. I think it's we're we're nearing the end, Yovan. I think it's uh, clearing up. Things are moving in the right direction. I think uh, we shouldn't be alarmed. Okay, COVID's almost over. Yeah, yeah, we're almost done. Um, let's talk about Kyrie. So people are concerned about Kyrie. Sean Mark said this to say, "Quote: Kyrie will have the opportunity to address his absence when he is ready to do so." My first thought when I was reading just all the different stuff going on with Kyrie with the kind of dark, be, the, like the the Nets being in the dark about what's going on here reminds me so much of Andrew Luck before he was just like, yeah, I'm done. Right before the Colts season where it was just like he just kind of threw them for a loop and they're like, yeah, there's something going on. And it was just like his head's not totally in it. He's had a lot of injuries. He's just wants to do other stuff. He just doesn't love football anymore. And then he was just gone and we'll never see him play football again. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen here, but I'm inching closer and closer to the belief that like Kyrie Irving may have already played his last basketball game. Is that an, is that a too much over the top claim? Because 
I I really feel at this point that's where my head's at is like he's actually probably played his last basketball game in the NBA. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I, like Steve I Nash said, no sure, if he's ever going to see him again. Like he said, sure, uh, sure. That's a direct quote. If he's going to see Kyrie Irving play for the Nets again this season, like what? Look, as someone who has him on my fantasy basketball team, it has been very annoying to uh, to, to see those missed games. Uh, but no, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's weird to me because it just seems like no matter what, Kyrie isn't happy. Um, like, you know, I think at first in Cleveland, he wasn't happy with, how bad the team was and then they get LeBron, they win a championship and then it kind of becomes, well, I don't want to share the spotlight with LeBron. I I want my own team. Um, Then he goes to Boston, has his own team. And, you know, that situation, uh, you know, clearly flamed out and and was not what he expected and and, and wanted. And, um, you know, they even had stretches where they were better without him. And and you saw, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown coming into their own, and then now he's in Brooklyn and it's like you, you got the team you wanted. You're in the city you want to be in. You're with one of your best buds and Katie, like theoretically you guys should be a powerhouse and you guys actually started the season off well. And then all of a sudden you just stop playing and you know, the, there's been some rumors of, you know, it was about the you know insurrection and what happened on January 6th. But then you see him out, socializing at a birthday party you see him on a zoom call during the game which is just like insane like you know he's not even at the arena like you know watching the game from the locker room or or from the bench or even watching the game from home he's on a zoom call uh during the game and it's just that that's a bad look and it's you know you said andrew luck like in some ways it's kind of similar to james harden and um you know conspiracy theorist the Ovon wonders maybe he's got a whiff of Brooklyn potentially including him in a Harden deal and uh, maybe he's kind of boycotting or upset about that I, I don't know but um, you know like I mean that's what we're left with though is, is conspiracy theories and, and just speculation and, and wondering what he's doing and when he's going to be back because um, it obviously like you know until we figure it out it, it doesn't you know, until we learn what happened or what is happening, it doesn't make any sense because from the outside looking in, it's like what, what like why you keep getting everything you want and then you don't want it or you're not happy with it. And you know, it's it just, who, know, who knows? Maybe he isn't going to play again. I, I just, I have no clue because the situation, like we don't know enough and you know, just from the outside looking in, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. Take this for the grainiest of grainiest salts from the New York post this week quote the point guard's absence is believed to be because he is upset over the u.s capitol riot um that's personal reasons that's a lot and that's very possible especially when we consider what um where Kyrie's head was at last year and last summer and not wanting to play and kind of leading uh against doing the bubble and playing basketball in 2020 um that's all fair. And I think he has his head in a lot of different places. I think sometimes 
Kyrie says something that um, is very thoughtful and very important. And then there are other times he calls people pawns and refers to himself as an artist um, where he said, quote, it's just really how I felt about the main mistreatment of certain artists when we get to a certain flat platform. Like he, I, I, I guess playing basketball is artistic. I, I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Like, it just seems like no one has any idea and you're just reading different things. And it, it's amazing to me. The Nets just have no clue. And they're just like, yeah, we, 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 we don't know. like the team that he plays for just no one. And you just, there's a way of going about it. And I think everybody in the league would understand. And I think the Nets for sure would understand if he was just like, Hey, there's a lot of my mind. I need to get my head right. Like the Cavs are currently doing that with Kevin Porter Jr. He had a lot of offseason legal troubles, and they're like, we're not putting on the court until we like help reconstruct our life. Like that's what they're doing um, by all reports with Kevin Porter. Like that is something they could do with Kyrie to be like, hey man, like you get your head right, but also like you can't be partying maskless at thir- like at a birthday party. Like you both things. He just he does one thing and then does something completely counterintuitive the next, and that's probably what's so frustrating about him is that like he'll say something important and thoughtful, and then the next thing he'll do something reckless, or he'll just say something dismissive, or just like you're like, what are you talking about? Like he just he can't help himself. It's just it's a very it's a full on pendulum swinging back and forth with him all the time, and I. I don't know. Based on like everything I read and based on everything we've seen so far, it's just like I don't think this dude wants to play basketball anymore. That that's just where I'm at. I just don't think he wants to play. Like he would be there if he wanted to play basketball. Instead, he was on a Zoom call for the district attorney, uh, for someone who's running for district attorney in Manhattan. I mean, he he can't make this stuff up, right? Like he's just on the and he was like Kai Irving and he was there was someone else in the video that was unidentified with Kyrie, but he didn't say anything reportedly. He's just on the call and it's just like what that and this was like right before tip off. He's just hanging out on a Zoom call. Like what what are we doing? Well, and I think to to kind of circle back, like you know, to with everything we just said, I think the biggest issue in all of it is the Nets don't seem to know what's going on, right? Like Kyrie is entitled if, you know, what happened on, on January 6th, uh, you know, affected him and, and in a way that he doesn't feel right playing, that is totally reasonable. You know, he, he's, you know, that's his right to, to feel that way. And, and um, you know, if he wants to sit out until he's feeling better or in a better mental space, like then go for it. Totally. Like that, that is, you know, hundred percent. Just tell right. them. And, but but yeah, but you got to communicate that. Like that that is just the basic. And, and being a franchise player, making you know thirty plus million, um, being one, one of the two faces of the team, like you have, you know, th- there is a certain level of responsibility that comes with it. And it's like, you know, do do you want the Nets to withhold your your pay? Like like they potentially could if you just continue to sit out games. Like you know, I, I, no, I don't think he wants that so it's just it's a little bit of like you know it's it's one thing to sit out even if you even if you don't have a reason for it you know okay just sit out fine but communicate it and and you know have a a bit of a plan to like at least tell the media something where you know it it can kind of calm this speculation and and you know but sometimes I almost feel like he likes feeding into that stuff. And, and, and then he'll come out and say that we're pawns and, and you know, that 
we don't know what we're talking about and all this stuff. But then he, as you said, he does a lot of counterintuitive things that really feed that narrative and, and feed some of those storylines. So it just, it, it, it's a mess. Um, you know, look, to be honest, if I was Brooklyn, I, you know, it would depend, you'd have to get Katie's blessing, but if I could trade Kyrie Irving for James Harden, I would do that in a heartbeat. And, and, you know, maybe you keep Karis LeVert in that instance. Maybe you have to include him uh, on top of it, but uh, maybe you get to keep some picks then. Uh, but, like, if, if I could do that and Katie was cool with it, I, I would do that in a heartbeat because I wouldn't want to deal with this anymore. And James Harden is just a better basketball player than Kyrie Irving. So um, that, to me, would be something I'd definitely explore if I'm Brooklyn and, and Katie is, is cool with it. Which naturally brings us to the Charlotte Hornets, Yovan. <laughs> Have you watched any Hornets this year? I, I've seen a bit. Um, I've seen it like a couple games. Um, they're fun. I mean, I, I love LaMelo. I, I think that yeah. uh, people were overthinking that situation. And, um, you know, like, obvi- like you know, he, he does have some glaring weaknesses and he will have the pull-up three that hits the side of the backboard and, and you know, the, the bullet pass that flies out of bounds and uh, the floater where you're just like, what the hell are you thinking there? But, um, you know, he I, to me, he's he's clearly a special player, someone who looks like most likely a future all-star. And um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if, if he would have been a better fit in, in Minnesota and Golden State, but it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years we're looking back at that like, those two teams really messed up by not drafting Lamelo. Yeah, it 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 certainly seems like Lamelo. But then again, it's like the Timberwolves. I think the Timberwolves would still be bad if they took Lamelo. And I I think Wiseman was still the right fit. And he had he had a nasty block last night. I watched um, the majority of Pacers dubs last night, and he was just he and Draymond are just dirty. And like the situation with him and Draymond is just so perfect for him to learn from Draymond and his defensive acumen and just his basketball iq is just gonna be great for wiseman um but lamello is fun and i was wondering how this was gonna work because one of the things coming into the year was like terror's ear has become like this off-ball three-point assassin and he like he was just great catch and shoot threes um with Devonte graham last year and it was like okay well now there's three how are you gonna do this who's gonna start lamello probably has to start so does terry rosier go back to the bench do you bring Devonte graham off the bench and what i thought is i would bring Devonte graham off the bench and have him just be the guy who leads the second unit and scores a bunch of points and all the empty calorie stuff. Because um, I'm the biggest Devontae Graham guy long-term. And clearly the Hornets aren't either because they took LaMelo Ball to play his position. But Rozier, <laughs> uh, he had a 40-point game already this year. He's averaging close to 20. I think it's like number two on the team. Um, shooting 44% from three, just about where he was last year, and 47% from the field. But then you look at Gordon Hayward, who we all just lambasted the Hornets. Like, that kind of money. And, look, the years are long. It's a lot of money for Gordon Hayward. But, like, that dude is playing the best basketball we've seen since his time in Utah, right? Like, this dude, he's averaging 22.5 per game. He injured his finger before the season started, but um seems like that's okay. He's doing 22.5-5, five and five, basically what he was doing in uh, Utah. He's 30 now, um, and hitting all his free throws. He's shooting 40% from deep. Like, when you watch these games, he's so fluid. Like, his offensive game is back. Like, this dude is back posting dudes up, quick turnarounds, like, driving and kicking. Like, he's just 
Gordon Hayward is really, really good. And uh, the Hornets, like, they're five plus Bridges off the bench. Like, they have a solid seven-man group. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and lock them in as a playoff team. Yeah, Bon. I'm locking them in. Wow. Uh, so who... Well, I, I, I did notice you mentioned your Pacers earlier. Oh, yeah. You were watching oh, your yeah. Pacers last night. My Pacers. Um, who, uh, <laughs> who who are your eight current East playoff teams then? Um, I think the Magic are out. So let's just go ahead and cancel them. The The Markel stuff just sucks. He was playing so yeah. well. But they've lost, um, yeah, three straight. They're 500. They're going to fall out. They just There's no talent there after that. The Aaron Gordon stuff, they'll probably trade him. Um, I'll say Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Pacers, Hornets, Nets, Hawks, Heat. That's eight, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. you, you so from last season, it's Raptors and Magic out. Mm-hmm. I think Raptors, on. Magic. Then, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then uh, Hawks and Hornets replace them. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, do you disagree? Toronto do you have a different is, group? Is, uh, I, I'm still optimistic on Toronto. I haven't sold all their stock, so I, I'd, I'd probably go with your group with Toronto and, and Charlotte's place. Um, but I, you know, I, I could also see Masai just tearing the whole thing down and, uh, you know, flipping guys for younger guys and, and picks and stuff and just being like we can do like a quick one to two year rebuild and, and be pretty good again with, with some of the young talent that we have so uh, I, I don't know what Toronto is going to do or, or if they're going to be able to kind of turn things around but um, as far as Charlotte like yeah I mean Hayward you know looks like an all-star again um, I, I always felt his some of the stuff with him was, was overblown and it was a little bit to do with like, you know, there, there was a lot, a lot of stuff with, with his off court stuff and, and his wife and, and different things. And, um, you know, like I, I think some of that stuff, uh, kind of turned people against him or, or, you know, just not as much in his favor, but, I, I thought he was solid at Boston. Like he, he wasn't that Utah level guy, but he, he was a really high level role player. And, and that's not what you're paying 30 million for, but he has returned, as you said, like to that Utah type, you know, all-star level guy and especially in the East. And I, I think that if he can keep this up and, you know, they seem to me like a team that could make a move. Like I, I do think the, uh, especially just to, free things up for LaMelo. Like, I don't think having Rogier and Graham makes sense. I just think it's like, cause those two guys, well, I think it makes sense um, for this Graham, year as a rookie. Like, I think it makes sense for now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I'm always a, like, I always like to just throw the rookie, especially if they're a high level rookie to the wolves play your 32, 34 minutes a night and just, sink or swim out there let's see what you what you can do in, in that type of role um you know my like terry rogier I, I just feel like is a guy that um you know clearly thinks highly of himself and, and probably too highly like he is one of those irrational confident role players um like because like honestly to me ter- rogier and, and graham are similar and like they're both 
to me, six men. Like, you know, they're a guy you want leading your bench, uh, you know, as a 15, 18 point a night guy. And he kind of in that Lou Williams mold. Um, I don't know if you want two of those guys, though. Yeah. And, and you know, well, I, I see like, Rozier as more I, like I think, a KCP type. I actually think he's like on the right team. Like that dude is just a catch and shoot. Mod. Like he can be what KCP was for the Lakers in the bubble. Like he could be that for another contender. I think he can be that, but does he want to be that? that that's the question. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're interesting. And we kind of figured like there was going to be some randomness this season, some teams emerging. Um, I never bought the Knicks hype, so they've kind of come back down to earth. I think they've lost three in a row. Uh, but You didn't yeah, believe in I mean, Julius Randle like, being LeBron light? <laughs> Uh, I like Randall uh, in a certain context, but no, I mean that that team mm. doesn't have shooting. It, it's uh, it's a very Thibodeau team in, in some respects. Yeah. Um, the Boston Celtics. They're seven and three. They won four straight. Seems like they're uh, they're not missing Kimba, and he's coming back soon. I uh, I don't know, man. Like I think. The Celtics might be okay because they're my team that I had coming into the year. I had the Raptors missing the playoffs, but I also had the Celtics finishing sixth or seventh um, this season in the East. I thought they would take a step back, especially with Kimba being gone and like the Jeff Teague signing I didn't like. And had a weird draft, but Peyton Pritchard's played really well. Um, was worried about their depth. Like they have no bench whatsoever, and they're fine. And Jalen Brown has gone up another level. He's shooting lights out from three. He and Tatum are just doing literally everything for this team and I don't know if it's sustainable because like but then you look at the defensive numbers of Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tyson the floor together where they were like playing this defensive lineup it hasn't been good the early returns haven't been good but like that will probably flip at some point down the line but the Celtics are uh they're just really good and their two young guys are just playing out of their mind I are you now convinced the Celtics are going to be fine or still going to be a top four team even with an injured uh, Kimba Walker this season. Top four team in the East or top four team in the league? Oh, East. No, 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 not in the league. Okay, no, okay. No, no, no. Um, yeah, no, I, I've I've actually been a Boston optimist the last couple of years. Um, I think it was what two years ago when when there was all the hype of uh, was that when Simmons said they were going to win seventy games or something? And, I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like so, th- they've been. I, I think. I think two years ago they were my pick to come out of the East, and then last year it was between them and Philly for me, and I ended up going Philly, which was a mistake. <laughs> uh, I, I was one of the the, the Philly believers, um, but I, I've been high on, on, on Boston. Um, I, you know, and, and I was still high on them. I, I think I had them uh, coming into the season as my three seed behind Milwaukee and Brooklyn. So. I'm I'm not necessarily surprised by this. I am surprised, given some of the context of of Kemba being out um, for for this long, and and you know some of the absences they've had because of COVID, and because of injuries and stuff, uh, and them still winning. Like, you know that. And then you know, look, Tatum and, and Brown are um, you know th- those two guys were uh, compared to you, you know like. Last season, there were some comparisons of, of, oh, you know, Kawhi and PG. Like, these guys kind of have that potential. And, uh, you know, Tatum has been compared to everybody at this point. KD, Kobe, T-Mac. Like, um, I think he's starting 
he, he's taking another step. He, he's getting closer to that level. And then you have a guy in Jalen Brown who, who probably has taken a couple of steps this year and I think has really solidified himself uh, as a, you know, an all-star and, and like a number two or a number two and a half, uh, which we didn't know if he would be able to get to that level. So, um, you know, they got to stay healthy. I, I think some of the size scares me. Some of the depth scares me. Um, you know, if you look at this roster, uh, some of the bench guys that are playing, like I, I don't have a lot of confidence in it. Um, but, you know, th- they're a team to me that maybe in the regular season, they're the three seed, four seed, five seed. But come playoff time, when you are playing seven guys, seven and a half guys, and, and your top guys matter, um, you know, unless Brooklyn or, or Philly swings the James Harden trade, like I, I don't see a team whose top two or three I, I trust more than Boston right now. So, um, I, you know, I, I might lean Milwaukee or Brooklyn still just because of Giannis or KD uh, and them, I think, being at a different level than Tatum. Uh, but I would not be surprised if, if they're in the finals or they have another conference finals run. Um, I, I, I still think they're, they're very, very good. Um, the Nuggets, not going well. They probably my favorite game of the year, though uh, the Jokic versus Luca game. Um, Jokic and Luca, or Jokic and Millsap, are both shooting over forty percent from deep this year, which I thought was interesting. Um, but watching this team, Will Barton is probably the trade ship here. Like they're they're winged up, losing Craig, losing Grant. Like they are they are really thin on the wing, and they need help. We know what they need. Um, they had a quietly really bad off season in that department, but you can't pay Jeremy Grant what they were going to pay. So I'm just, I'm just like, I, they have a trade to make. It's not James Harden, but I'm looking around the league. And I'm like, it's not Bradley Beal. It's not what they need. Who's averaging like 35 a game this year, which is just nuclear and please free him. Washington. Um, I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm not concerned about Denver because he's Jokic is still just otherworldly and just a top 10, top seven player at this point consistently. Like I, I don't know. I think they just they just need a wing, and I don't know. Is there a, a wing for you that you're just like, yeah, that would make the most sense for them to go after? Is it Aaron Gordon? Is it Jeremy Grant? <laughs> just trade back for him. <laughs> uh, I, I like Aaron Gordon. Um, oh, on, on this team, I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, like it, it, it's. It's tough. Like the, I, I don't really know what the trade market is. Like you know, Aaron Gordon is one of those those names that's always out there. Um, I'm trying to see who. Like, uh, c- could you get Harrison Barnes? Although that's a pretty steep contract. Mm, um, I don't think I want that. Like, yeah. Like I, I don't. I don't really know what's out there. Like, you know, I think the guy who's always like the the go to like would be great to have is like a Robert Covington. Um, but you know, Port- I think Portland is not giving him up, uh, especially to a, a West, you know, competitor. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Denver, uh, we, we've seen this with, with Utah a bit, uh, the last few years, like it could just be starting the season slow and they were, you know, they made a conference finals. They were playing, uh, you know, like Boston had a weird start where, where they were, I think what, like three and three or four and three to start. Um, you know, Denver kind of had the weird start. The Lakers dropped some games that, that they probably shouldn't have dropped. Uh, Miami has, has not been 
you know, the Miami of the bubble. So I, I wonder if there's like a conference finals hangover. I do think that they lost um, in, in Plumlee and, and Grant and Torrey Craig. They lost three important rotation players and they didn't really patch those up. You know, I, I guess Jermichael Green kind of has taken the Plumlee role. And I actually think Jermichael Green's better than, than Plumlee, but Plumlee was important as a, a screener, a passer, a dribble handoff guy. Um, you know, he kind of was almost the, the facilitator of that second unit. So they, they didn't really replace that. And then the Grant and, and Craig, um, you know, holes, like you, you can replace it by committee with, with just more MPJ and, and, and Barton and, and Harris. And another thing with this is, you know, MPJ has been in the, the health and safety protocol. So I, I think that's definitely affected a, a team that is now, you know, not as deep and more reliant on him. Um, so I, I'm not giving up on Denver yet. Like I do think that there probably is a move here. You know, there is going to be something to figure out. Um, but I want to see them after 20, 25 games. And if they're still hovering around 500 or below 500, that's when you, you need to, okay, like what's really wrong here? What isn't working? Let's make a move. But I think as a team that is coming off of a conference finals appearance, you know, Jokic to me looks better. I think Murray's still been kind of up and down, um, you know, but you think, you know, MPJ should take a step th- this season. Um, the, most of the team is returning. So you, you have that continuity. Um, I think you, you now have the newfound confidence of we made a conference finals, um, you know, cause that was kind of a group that hadn't really done anything and, and, you know, had lost in the first round. And it was like, are they ever going to break out? Are they ever going to do something in the postseason? And, I think that earned them some some confidence and some goodwill. So, I'm I'm still holding on to my Denver stock, uh, but I I think we got to see 20 25 games before we can really make a judgment on them. Uh, but but again, if they're 13 and, and 12, 25 games in, that's concerning, and, and that is a team that um, you know I forgot who who said this. You know, there's been a, a couple people who've said this, but like usually that 20 to 25 game mark is if you take a snapshot of the standings, you know, nine out of 10 times, six or seven, at least of the playoff teams are the playoff teams. And even the order is pretty close to how it's normally going to be. You know, there of course are some surprises throughout the season, injuries, trades, different stuff happens, but you know, come that 25 game mark, you kind of have an idea of who the playoff teams are, what the standings are going to be. And it's really just then some jockeying, you know, three, four, five, whatever. But um, th- that's what I'm looking for. Like, I, I think I think Denver's going to be fine. I agree. Well, we have to leave it there, Yovan. One last quick thing before we go. One last quick thing. The Lakers have won 8 of 10. Are the Lakers going to run away with the Western Conference this season? Oof. Um in terms of seeding or in terms of in yeah, the Yeah, I feel like they're going to like wrap up the top seed like <laughs> in the next 50 games. I just I think they're just going to clinch early. Yeah. I think we I, I was giving people shit about like just pre-crowning the Lakers as back-to-back teams and everything else, but like they're 12 games across the league. I'm just like, yeah, the Lakers they're they're healthy, like they're they're going back to back. Like it's just I'm already there. Yeah, I mean, I I think so to, I guess to answer your question, yes. <laughs> um, I do think the, the Clippers will challenge them. Um, you don't have to do that know, anymore. You're not well, in the beat. Don't feel like you well, no, feel the need no, to do that. Uh, yeah. I'm just well, look, I mean, if anything, that, that's, 
that's what I actually believe because I, I, you know, I would be more pro Lakers in, in that this respect now, but I think that the, the Clippers will challenge them both in record. And if they played each other in the playoff series, like I, I do think right now, um, Lakers versus anyone in the West is a sweep or a five game series Lakers versus Clippers. You can talk me into, okay, that goes six. Maybe that goes seven. And who knows, maybe the Clippers win that series. But that is, to me, the only team. And that was actually, I I just had a story um, that I'm going to be doing every 10 games, kind of 10 observations, storylines, stats that I I find kind of relevant from that 10-game stretch. And one of my observations was just, I think if you're the Lakers, like you can't help but feel even more confident with with the, the way the rest of the West looks, right? Like, you know, you know, so the Clippers look good. I think they look better. But aside from them, you know, Phoenix, like, do you really trust that? And, you know, like, you know, I love Chris Paul. Um, I, I love Jay Crowder. But, you know, aside from those two guys, no one on that roster has done anything. They, they've never made the playoffs. Um, and, you know, it's just I, I think that's a team that, you know, they look like a playoff lock. They, they look like a team that can maybe even make the second round. But I don't like in a seven game series against the Lakers, I don't see how they push them to like six or seven games. Then the rest of the West has been kind of disappointing. You know, Dallas, Portland, Denver, Utah. Uh, I mean, Utah's kind of surging right now. They're up to seven and four, but um, you know, I, I don't think it's a good matchup for them against the Lakers. And then the rest of those teams, like I just, you know, they have a flaw either, you know, defensively or offensively that I think kind of hurts them in a Lakers matchup. So to me, if, I, if I'm the Lakers, I'm feeling more confident than ever of like, you know, just stay healthy, um, you know, manage LeBron and AD's workload, you know, don't overtax those two. And we get to the playoffs healthy. Like there's really nobody that could beat us, not only in the West, but maybe even in the East. And I, I think their their greatest competition might be in the East, but they're only going to play one of those teams in the playoffs, right? So th- those teams are going to have to beat each other up. Um, like, like if you're looking at the top of the West versus up of the East, again, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, uh, Miami, Philly, like those five teams are really, really good. I think any of those five can make the finals. And, uh, you know, that you can't really say that in the West. I think it's it's the Lakers and maybe the Clippers and no one else as currently constructed. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think the Lakers are going to be the one seed. And I, I think they're probably going to make the finals with like four losses, um, like three or four losses. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm very bullish on them right now. All right. Yovan, what can we check out from you this week in The Athletic? Well, if, if you have not read that piece, um, I, I would recommend going in, back and reading that. Uh, so it's called State of the Lakers. I'm going to be doing it every 10 games or so. Uh, then had a, a piece off of last night's shellacking in, in Houston uh, with, with LeBron's look away three, which was one of the most disrespectful things I've, I've seen in a while. Uh, but but also some interesting stats on how dominant the Lakers were defensively and um, you know uh, what's been going on with them. So definitely check those two out. Also check out the Forum Club podcast. Uh, that is my new podcast with the Athletic about the Lakers. And uh, follow me on, on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha J O V A N B U H A. All right, go do that. Keep up the great work, sir, Yovan, and uh, we will be back very soon. Sounds good, man. Thank you. The wait is finally over. Knotfest Roadshow is back. 
October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot with Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on RootMetrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get you your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, oh yeah, the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or having an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Uh, to apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Right, we're back on the full ride. I'm Chase Thomas, and that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, as he always is, Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni. I'm wearing a University of North Georgia blue crew neck sweatshirt that I got uh, for Christmas. Matt, how are you? How are you? That's a that's a quality item right there. Yeah. I um always always like to rep UNG when I can. I actually have this uh, this one shirt where they spelled university wrong, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and like when I was in like one of the journalism classes I was in, like they actually like we like did a story about it, showed them like taking them off the shelves and stuff. But uh, I still have the one. It was a dope shirt, so I was like, I'm gonna buy the normal one. But I still have the one where uh, university is uh, spelled wrong. I'm proud of it. Wait, what? I don't know why. Was Who's the my, professor? It makes my college look bad. But what was that? Who was this? Was this Merrill? Who was this? Oh, uh, Conti, I believe. Oh, I never had. I don't her. know if you have ever had her. She like worked at CNN and stuff, but uh, she was cool. Oh, yeah, did not did not have her. I think you were in the room when I did my whole presentation of my career, my my senior thesis. Wasn't there a CNN person in the room for that? Is that her? Do you remember? Uh, this? I can't. I don't. I don't know if I remember that because you didn't graduate. I didn't graduate the same semester oh, you did. Right. So I don't know you if I probably there. weren't in there. I guess you weren't in the capstone yeah. class. It was the capstone class, is what it was called. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Um, that was something we'll talk about off air, which was really funny. Um, there was a college football game on Monday night, Matt. Um, allegedly a game. We call it a game, but it wasn't really a game. It was more of a stomping. Alabama covers. They just cover the 75 and a half uh, over under. 76 points in this game. Unbelievable. Um, Bama just runs all over. Devontae Smith has a crazy first half. Justin Field struggles. Um, your biggest takeaway from Alabama beating Ohio State on Monday night to win the national championship, Nick Saban's seventh. Well, in terms of what Alabama did, I feel like like nothing was a surprise. You know, it's like we we talked about this. Like Ohio State, they they'd even been a little underwhelming kind kind of what they normally are defensively this year. And we're just like, I don't see any way. Like maybe they can score some points, but I don't see any way that they're stopping Alabama's offense. And they didn't. Like it just looked so easy. And it's just when you're watching a game, like, and you gotta give it up to Steve Sarkeesian because it's like I know that Devontae Smith is the best player player on the field. How does he keep getting so wide open? Like it's just it's just great uh just great schemes and everything. Everything Alabama does offensively is just is just perfect. But um I I would say what what surprised me the most was really Justin Fields' performance. I I I expected him to, you know, have like that maybe not Deshaun Watson, Vince Young type performance, but I expected him to just single-handedly like keep Ohio State in this game and just kind of show what he did against Clemson and he was nowhere close to what he was against Clemson. So and and even with the running game like kind of working a little bit in the in the first half despite Trey Sermon being out, I was I was surprised that uh how underwhelming Justin Fields was. Uh what about you? It's so hard to tell how much of that was just him being hurt, right? Like, he was banged up. That's true. Um, He took a beating in that Clemson game. Um, But, you know, I mean, Alabama just played him really well. And, like, my whole thing is, like, how much of Trey Sermon going out affected him? And how much did that affect their game plan? Because Trey Sermon was so important against Clemson and down the stretch. Like, there were some things. And, I mean, he was still making some good throws. Um, He found Garrett Wilson deep um, at one point in this game. But, like... I don't know. I thought Fields was underwhelming, but I also just thought that uh, Bama was just better, and he might have been hurt. He might not have been, but it was just an all... <laughs> but Money Jones on his podcast as we made this comp, and it, it cracked me up because I, I, I now can't unsee it. It was kind of like what happened in Nebraska to Ohio State. That's what Alabama did to Ohio State, where it's like they even have the red uniforms. They have the red where it's just like, yeah, you want this smoke, you talk about it, and you want it, and then you just get stomped by the better programming. Clemson talking about Ohio State, and then Ohio State stomps Clemson. And it was just a lot of stompings um, in the playoff, which has become just a thing that happens in the college football playoff is just all the games are bad. And this was another bad game, and I figure coming in that this was probably going to be a bad game. And I think... Um, I don't know if you have our predictions in front of you, but um, I want to say that I, I predicted Bama to win and cover. I, I could be wrong, but I think I think I did. And yeah, you picked Alabama to cover. I I did not. I, yeah. I thought Ohio State was gonna be able to keep it close. I couldn't I believe the amount of people winning. I was seeing before, like Ohio State up, like people picking Ohio State. I'm like, this is probably the best Bama team Saban's ever had, and that's not an indictment on Ohio State. Where I'm just like, eh, they were they were just better. Like they just have everybody everywhere, and it just does. It just well, didn't matter. Well, and it's so strange, right? Because usually, like, 
they talk about like America's team. Like America's usually rooting for the underdog because that's how you always do. You don't you don't root for the for the bad guys to win in in Rocky Four. You know what I mean? You just you don't root for that. But because Alabama Ohio State was seven and zero, it looks so weird on your screen, right? Twelve and zero versus seven and zero in the national championship. It's like everyone was rooting for Alabama because they just didn't want this seven win Ohio State team to be able to win a national championship that way. That's kind of the vibe uh that i got and then it's like after it was over you were just like oh yeah i forgot i was so tired of alabama winning championships you know it's like you you forgot that part just because they were more deserving in terms of the body of work of what ohio state did all year yeah i don't know i'm just glad it's over i'm glad we can move on i i thought the funniest thing to me that ryan mcgee had a really good piece on espn about saban being happy and he was smiling a lot more people were noticing that and that um May have gotten some teeth whitening done, so shout out to him. Not only is he keeping that hair dyed, getting the teeth whitening, shout out to Saban, preparing for that media career after this is all said and done. Um, I can understand Will why he really he just... be a member of the media? Oh, I feel like he hates the media. No, 100% no? loves it. 100% loves it. Like, Saban's no? immediately going into the media once he retires. 1,000%. That dude is going that full Mac true. Brown. Absolutely. I mean, and he's, like, everyone just keeps talking about, like, oh, you know, how much time's he got left? Like... The guy does not look unhealthy. Like no. I mean, he the guy can easily coach pies. another ten years. <laughs> exactly, little Debbie. That's uh, that's the key, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, now he's past. Like at this point, he's just having fun. And like I, someone asked me about that too. Um, last week when we were talking about Saban, we we're like, "What's it gonna take?" And I'm like, "I feel like what it's gonna be for Saban is what it was for Chip Kelly in terms of just like one day, he's gonna wake up and be like, I'm tired of recruiting.'" Like, that's what it is. It's like once you get burnout on the recruiting aspect of it, because he talks all the time about how much he enjoys being the best recruiter in football and how hard it is for people to say no to Nick Saban in a one-on-one setting. Like, the day that he wakes up and recruiting is not fun anymore for him is when it's over. And I don't know when that's going to be. I don't think it's going to be on the field stuff. I think it's going to just be like, I'm tired of recruiting. Yeah, and I'm sure, and I'm, and I'm sure someone like Kirby Smart is putting in about, like, 10 times as much effort on the recruiting trail than Saban is, you know, it's like Saban's just like, yeah, bring him to me when I need to close the deal, you know? So I'm sure, I'm sure he's not really in the trenches recruiting like he once was in his career. So at this, at this point, Alabama, you know, you just sit back and just let the machine do what it does. It like they, they've replaced both coordinators, you know, how every other year it feels like, and those guys go take another head coaching job and and just nothing changes and the the d de- i mean you know maybe the defense isn't at the level that it once was but it's like defenses in college football aren't at the level that they once were so alabama's still up there with one of the one of the better defenses in the country but you know it's it's not going to be like the the all-time wins or anything that like keeps him around because there's just no way of i don't think there's any way that he could ever catch like Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno and guys like that way up there. He's he's like another 150, 200 wins behind those guys. Wait, didn't he already pass Paterno because of all the wins vacated? Oh well, yeah, that's that's a that's a whole other conversation. But uh, um, but yeah, it's just I, I don't know. I don't I don't see this. People seem to talk about the inevitability of Saban stepping down, and I'm not sure he's ever stepping down. Like this guy, he seems immortal, but. Uh, but yeah, I was looking at it uh, in, since 1936. That's uh, the the pole era of college football, which is still ancient history. 
essentially. There's five schools in the country that have seven-plus national championships, and Nick Saban has that in the last, what, 17 years. So it's um, it's pretty absurd, the the level of success that, uh, that Alabama's at Wait, you said five right schools now. have seven-plus? Five schools have seven-plus. You think you can name them? All right, well, obviously Alabama won. Um, I know because, like, how far back is this going? 1936. Okay, 1936. When the, uh, the poll era started, yeah. Mm, that have seven. Oh, man. I may have bit off more than I can chew here. Hold on. I got to this <laughs> for a second. I can, uh, USC. I can just give you the Yeah, USC's got seven. Um, USC, Bama. And how many are there? I, I know. I'm just thinking. There, I'm, there's three. There's three more that have eight. All three of them have eight. All three of them have eight. I don't think Oklahoma is in this. Oklahoma is one? Okay, Oklahoma, yeah. Um, How many more do I need? Two more. Two more. Uh, You know, it's not the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, I, That seemed unnecessary. <laughs> uh, no, not Michigan. Are, they are safe. It's not Michigan. I'm Florida sure I didn't tell you. It's not Florida State. No, it is uh, Ohio State and it Notre too? Dame. Ohio State and Notre Dame. See, Ohio State only has like two in the last. Like, I was thinking back. I'm like, since that time, like, does Ohio State have enough during that window? Notre Dame, I just completely. I was not. I was not going to have Notre Dame on there. That that sounds about right. Ohio State, Notre Dame. That's uh who the Alabama Crimson Tide knocked off to win their their seventh under Saban. Everything comes yes, full circle in football. So, so Saban with seven, he's got seven titles now, nine national championship appearances. There is. What is it? one, two, three, four, five schools that have that have made four, just the, even made four national championships, and this guy's over here with seven wins. Like it's, it's just unheard of. If you want, if you want those, by the way, Oklahoma has been to four national since the BCS era in college football playoff actual national championship appearances. Uh, Ohio State's been to five and one two. Oklahoma's been to four one one. Clemson's been to four one two. FSU, Florida State's been to four and won two, and LSU has been to four and won three. So, uh, and, the, and those have been the next best programs in the country. And it's just it's it's crazy how how far they are from from what Saban has done. Yeah, I am um, still amazed. Do you have any more Bama Saban stats that you'd like to throw out? That's all I got. I was uh, I came with those with those stats. Okay, but. But I do have Wait, a question. Wait, hold on. How many, okay. like, just to bring it back to Kirby for a second, in comparison, how, how does Kirby stack up on national titles compared to Saban? I don't, I don't know why you got to do it. I don't know, I don't know why you got to why you gotta poke the bear here. But um, <laughs> I got to do it. I got to laugh. Kevin Steele might be the Kirby, interim head coach at Tennessee this fall. You got you to gotta laugh every now and then. Speaking man. of Kirby, mm-hmm. you've, you've seen a lot of people talking about the whole, because this Justin Fields thing will just never die oh, from, from a Georgia fan's perspective. Mm-hmm. Every time he does anything, you know, it's, it's talked about in SEC circles. So with the, with the performance that uh, Justin Fields put up against Alabama, I, I'm sure you saw the, uh, the tweets going around of uh, Jake Fromm's performance against Alabama in 2018 in the 2018 SEC championship game which of course the one year that Fromm and Fields were on the same team so does does that do anything for you seeing Jake Fromm have essentially like the best game of his career three touchdowns no picks like in the SEC championship while Justin Fields is a true freshman and seeing what Justin Fields 
did as a junior, as a two-year starter against Alabama, I feel like it's safe to say that Kirby Smart made the right call in 2018 of keeping Jake Fromm as the starter. Like, we all knew how good Justin Fields was going to be, but literally no coach in the history of college football would have would have benched the incumbent starter off a team that just went to the national championship game, and especially if you actually look at how good Fromm actually was in the 2018 season. What do you think? I think we need to give all the respect in the world to Ian Book. Better than both of them. I guess at this point, that's what we got to do because uh, Notre Dame covered and uh, kept it a little bit closer than Ohio State did. Um, no, I just think well, the team as a whole was just better, and Jake Fromm had a better, even better supporting cast. I think at that point in time than even what Justin Fields has around him this year. Yeah, and that that might all be true. They're obviously two completely different teams, but um, I think it's a, I think. That's just something that's always brought up and thrown in, in Kirby Smart and Georgia fans' face. Like, how could you not start Justin Fields over Jake Fromm? It's like, because Jake Fromm was really good, and he just didn't really give op- an opportunity. He didn't open the window for a true freshman to be able to come in and take his job. And mm-hmm. I think if Fields sticks around at Georgia for another year with the struggles that Jake Fromm had uh, in 2019, I, I almost guarantee that Justin Fields is is the starter down the stretch in 2019 for Georgia. But... You just never know. He he didn't he didn't want to uh, hang around in Georgia and compete for the job. And so I just I just it all comes down to like not blaming Kirby Smart, in my opinion. Like I think you know you can make a, your opinions about uh, who they are as players and everything, but at the end of the day, Kirby Smart is not at fault for not starting Justin Fields. Like I mean, look if you see what. Well, uh, no, I what, don't think he's at fault for that. I think he's at fault for handling it as badly as he did. I don't think he handled it well. I think there's a way of going about it, and he he fumbled it. Like, Bama just proved you well, can do it. Like, they Bryce Young just – there was no competition. He was behind, and the five-star stayed, and he's going to get his shot. Like, I think the communication breakdown was big. And I remember talking to Logan Booker. He's really plugged in in Athens about, like, him saying some stuff walking off the field. Like, he wasn't really given a chance, and, like, the like only letting him do running plays was not a good look. Never really – letting him do other stuff and run a normal offense. Like there were, there were more things than just uh, not uh, letting Justin Fields uh, than than not putting Justin Fields on the actual field. So I I think there was more to it than that. That one clip that everyone always talks about, that's walking off off the field against South Carolina. Second game of the season, your team just won like 41 to 14. And this guy is complaining about like not, not getting to throw the ball enough and like a blowout win. I feel like, that just says speaks to where his mentality was when he came into Georgia that he thought he thought Jake Fromm was a scrub. He's like, I'm going to come in and just beat this dude out immediately. And this is going to be my team. And then when he well, when I mean, he showed that he was the a much better player. He's going top three in the draft and Jake Fromm um, will be out of the NFL within three years. But I, I think I mean, I think the performance against Alabama, would you think he would do better than he did Two days ago, do you think he would have done better as a true freshman against I mean, Alabama? Like, like we have no probably way of not. And that's and that's my point, and that's I think why that argument is being brought up is that Jake Fromm, when they played Alabama two years ago, when Justin Fields was on the team, played maybe his best game of his college career. Like he was just flawless, and so and and you talk people talk about Alabama, like that's a completely different situation. The situation that was the same was Jalen Hurts and Tua. And you saw Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was significantly worse 
as a as a sophomore than Jake Fromm was. Like that team that went to the national championship and um, beat Georgia, Jalen Hurts was the prototype game manager. He had like 15 touchdown passes in the entire season, but he lost and he and he lost in the national championship to Clemson the year before. He was the incumbent starter on a t- really good team, and Tua was this future superstar. And they didn't even have a good passing game, and they still didn't put Tua in over Jalen Hurts. It took to it took getting shut out at halftime of the national championship to finally make a switch. And so I just feel like in in that situation for Georgia, like Jake Fromm just never gave Justin Fields that opportunity. And people love to throw in the Kelly Bryant comparison too. Oh well, they you know they went to the playoff and then they put in. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and it's like that's also a completely different situation too because Kelly Bryant was terrible like Kelly Bryant wasn't good at all and they also got blasted in the semifinal of the playoff the year before so I think I think people just don't give Kirby Smart enough credit for for one just how difficult that situation was in general and and that he actually made the right call for the 2018 team and so if if Fields comes back he probably eventually is the starter at Georgia but uh but he didn't and and, and that's the way it is I cannot but, believe you made me do all of this and revisit all of this on a national championship recap show. Well, we had to because this could be the final J- Justin Fields, Jake Fromm conversation. No, that He's will no never end. Have you met college football fans? This will never <laughs> end. That, that, that's, what, that's what Georgia fans thought about Tim Tebow, too. We're like, okay, he's graduated. He'll be gone. We don't have to talk about Tebow anymore. And uh, that'll never go away for sure. No. But I think, I think now that Fields is no longer in college – especially since he didn't win a national championship. Like if he would have won a national championship, it likely never would have died. But now, I mean, essentially Jake Fromm and Justin Fields accomplished nearly the same thing in their college career. The, the best season of their career ended in a runner up for the national championship. So, uh, what can you do? I think I, obviously I still, I think Justin Fields is a better player than Jake Fromm. Just so, just so I'm on the record, I'm not saying Fromm, is better uh, than Fields. Just 2018 from gave Georgia a better chance than 2018 Fields. Hmm. Last thing as we wrap up here on this recap show, um, and we won't we won't disappear like Tracy Rocker allegedly disappeared this morning from the South Carolina offices to the plane. So this is like a low key South Carolina Auburn rivalry brewing now, right? I mean, like, this you is just getting... start. This is getting ugly. And now Gunnar Stockton, the five star, if he commits, if he commits to Auburn, I'm just, I'm all the way here for this. Like, this is just brutal. Poor Shane Beamer. And I heard like a lot of people kind of, you know, throwing Mike Bobo's name through the mud. Like, you know, there was like the, like players didn't like uh, Bobo and stuff like that. That's why they didn't want to bring him back at South Carolina. So. And I always heard a lot of people say that uh, as long as Connor Shaw was at South Carolina, then Gunnar Stockton was going to stay well, committed. Well, he did shout but... him out. Like, he did shout out Connor Shaw specifically when he said he was leaving. Like, he was like, I think that was a hard. So, clearly, it mattered a lot, but not enough to uh, – he he obviously prefers Bobo over uh, Shaw. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. Bobo's got a, a, a lot longer track record of uh, of coaching quarterbacks, but that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well – Bama team, as we wrap up and put a bow on this college football season, is this the best Alabama team of all time? Um, I'm gonna have to say yes. I um, I I, I so did. Too. I know everyone's everyone's talking about the 2019 LSU versus this 2020 Alabama team. Who 
do you have do you have a a pick there who you think's better i got some numbers to back it up i don't think i'd have to really dive into i to be happy with my comparison what do you have so alabama averaged 48.5 points per game lsu averaged 48.4 nearly identical alabama gave up 19.4 points allowed lsu was 21.9 they're both nearly the exact same. You know what I mean? Alabama, the only thing I think you could give the edge to LSU is that they beat five of the top eight teams in the final poll and six of the top 14, which that's pretty absurd. But Alabama also beat four of the top seven in the final poll and five of the top 13, which is similar. So I think what it comes down to, I think Najee Harris, even though Clyde Edwards-Alaire was great, Najee Harris, I think is just, I think, leaps and bounds better, personally. I think he 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 had, like, eight more touchdowns and, like, almost the exact same number of yards in two less games. He's just, he's a more dynamic uh, receiving threat as well, even though that's something that Clyde Edwards-Alaire did well. I think it comes down to Najee, Najee Harris. I give a, a slight nod to Bama. And then the fact that Nick Saban is the head coach over Ed Orgeron. I think that that, that right there just solidifies it, like, if it's if it's close at all, I'm taking Saban over Orgeron. So give me 2020 Bama over 2019 LSU. I think offensively give me 2019 LSU, but as a team on both sides and just what they were as a whole, I guess give me 2020 Bama. But that 2019, just because Joe Burrow was just otherworldly compared to Mac Jones. Mac Jones playing behind that offensive line, I'll just never escape. And I'll, Burrow's throws were just more impressive. Like what he was yeah, doing and in the Burrow, pocket. Burrow was just more impressive. Burrow is definitely the the better individual player, uh, but it's like that's that's what almost makes the Alabama team more impressive because they didn't even need the quarterback to run right. around and make plays when things broke down. It's like nothing well, ever never broke, broke down. down. Yeah, Every, yeah, everything just went perfectly according to script. So, uh, but yeah, it's they they honestly might be like everyone. I'm 2001 Miami is always kind of the team I always throw in there when you start talking about greatest teams of all time. Like these 2019 LSU and 2020 Bama, they're right there with them. Like they might be the greatest teams ever. Yeah. All right, Matt Green. Next week, what I'm thinking is we do our way too early preseason top 25. We make our own list and we come together to do a top 25. Very nice. Going into next year. I, uh, it's a uh, Georgia fans favorite favorite time of the season. Well, I'm gonna be high Start- on Georgia. Top four Start teams. Project. Everyone always is, man. That's what I'm saying. Everyone's always like, you know, this team, they should have enough to win a championship. And well, I didn't say that far. At some like, point in my life it will happen. Who knows? All right. Well, for that guy down there in Dequila, Georgia, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, Matt, we will talk next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today.